communications disruption can mean only one thing, invasion. A communication disruption can only mean one thing, negotiation. We've lost all communication. Invasion. What will the future of Star Wars bring? You must contact me. You must contact me and listen to read. They wouldn't dare. It's unthinkable. In this orbital's bubble bubble, Star Wars prequels appreciation podcast. It's outrageous. C.O. Bibbles Babble Bubble Brings news so good and news of trouble All Naboo shall lend an ear To see what there is to hear Yes, it is the bard of the Naboo The steward of Thede The royal governor C.O. Bibble of C.O. Bibble's Bubble, bubble. Yes, we are moving away from a galaxy far, far away, but to a time still long ago, to the medieval years, the dark ages and beyond, to the times of kings and queens across all of Europe, all of the Near East, and the grand fight for Christendom. At its highest, the age of the Crusader King. That's right. For on this episode, we are celebrating the release of Crusader Kings 3, the latest installment of the fantastical grand strategy games put out by Paradox Studios. In a game that's very near and dear to your host. That's right. For I have been playing the Crusader Kings game since the very first one. And thoroughly during the second and am very happily on a campaign right now in the third. But you may ask me, C.O. Bibble, the stewardess bard of Thede, what hath this to do with Star Wars and the Star Wars prequels at that. And I grant you this, mine friends, that it was a very hard quandary to discern what to do with this. And thus, I have gone through all the great medieval kingdoms, all the minor medieval kingdoms and duchies too, and shall ascribe unto them Jedi, knights, from the Star Wars prequels, Father Jedi, knights in name, not serving their own political purposes, as pointed out by the Sith, by the Republic, politicking various backhand deals using the Force. It's rather similar when you imagine the great royal dynasties that touched upon Europe in surrounding areas between, oh, I don't know, maybe 600 A.D. through 15, a thousand-year period. For a thousand generations, the, Ga- the Jedi Knights kept peace in the galaxy. For a thousand years, these kings and queens failed to keep peace 
in Europe. A very warring period. So that is why I'm I'm going off on this quest. And, and I, I, I wanted to, to drink a beverage telling of ye old times. And unfortunately I had no mead nor honey on me. So I just decided to go with the European theme and drink here a Cali Mocho. Yes, a Cali Mocho. Very fascinating drink. It's, uh, it's from Spain. It's what the poor farmers in Spain do. They mix red wine with Coca-Cola. So that's, that's, that's exactly what I'm doing here. So, strap in, everybody. Buckle up your old bootstraps. I don't... If buckles were around in the medieval period. I don't know. You have to go to a renaissance fair to find that out. As we will go through the Jedi, some of my favorites, some who we have discussed extensively on this show, some who we have not, and shall compare them to their medieval counterparts. And I believe that, being it Seal Bibble's Babble Bubble, that this is an ideal environment to navigate through these Crusader kings, because Seal Bibble knows how to be a courtesan, knows how to provide service to a king. Well, actually, in his case, a queen which there are many of them here. So I will hand off to a less dramatic persona, our usual versions of Marcel, to uh, talk about the show and hand. Oh, well, well thank you, Mr. Uh, cosplayer, uh, C.O. Bibble, Royal Steward Bard of Feed, of the Naboo, Introducing us here on, yes, this uh, fascinating show today where we are melding together the era of the Crusades of the Middle Ages to Star Wars, all inspired by the fact that Crusader Kings 3 was released earlier this week. It was a fantastic game. I highly recommend it. Um, Cross-platform play, multiplayer opportunities, you know, Xbox Game Pass, Steam, or the uh, the Paradox Store. This is not an advertisement, obviously, because we don't really draw that kind of attention here on the show. That being said, I'm heavily pushing this. And so, as is so often the case with C.O. Bibble's Babble Bubble, I try to melge two things I like into one. So here we go, the Star Wars prequels with Medieval Europe. Uh, anytime I make these comparison shows, whether it's, you know, the clone basketball association that was uh two episodes ago or if you had to go back further when um you know sir richard featherbotham was was guest hosting and we were talking about uh <laughs> uh you know british constituencies as as star wars characters you know there's multiple rules that don't exist in this so comparisons are very vague and just on a case-by-case basis unless i say otherwise so there we go let's let's see what happens I feel there is no better place to start this off than looking at the Grand Master of them all, Master Yoda. Now, what are the characteristics of Master Yoda? Well, he's wise, he's old, he's established, but he's, he's very clouded as he admits himself that, you know, there's the hubris of the Jedi Order leads to its downfall, misses the rise of Dark Sidious up to being Chancellor Palpatine so on and so forth. And and this is what you'll see is a common theme in making these comparisons between the Jedi to their medieval nation-state counterparts. 
comes down to, you know, there is that element of hubris and that they do end up falling. This is kind of what I like about hanging out in the Middle Ages here is the sense that all of these states I'm looking at, they fall apart. All of these dynasties, they have since fallen apart even before you get to the Renaissance, more or less. So it's a nice comparison there because everyone was kind of feeling like they were at the top of their game, but it's so many fractions and messiness going on in Europe and the surrounding areas during that time, during the 1,000 years we're roughly looking at, 500 to 1,500, um, that it uh, really isn't as good as it seems. Now, obviously, if you're even remotely familiar with history, you'd be like, oh, well, I don't think anyone thought it was all that good. Because right there at the beginning, you're talking about the Dark Ages, and yes, okay, I have a lot of bones to pick with people who use the phrase the Dark Ages. Uh, the origin of that comes from, um, I forget the name of which monk or church scholar was talking about how, oh, during the Roman Empire, the height of antiquity, there was an educated light. You know, it was the age of light, and so that kind of made, well, what are we living in now? Seeing it like an age of dark, hence the Dark Ages. But there were still, you know, things happening, things that were progressing, and you could almost compare it to the High Republic to the late version of the Old Republic during the Clone Wars, which, you know, it's a very messy time, very clouded time, very much war-driven. So I know that's a stretch, but you can just stick with me here on, on this one. But anyhow, Master Yoda. So we're looking for a, a kingdom, a, a duchy, a royal family, an empire that was at the height of its game, and had a significant history. And so, for me, I think the obvious answer is the Byzantine Empire. We're talking about the Eastern Roman Empire. So, obviously, you know, uh, the Byzantines were able to claim that they are the continuation of the Roman Empire, which if you go back even further, you know, that said, well, that was as old as 753 BCE versus, you know, up to when they eventually fall apart in... Uh, 1453. I, I may be off on the years. I don't have it. I think it's 756 to 1453. If you want to talk about the continuation of East, of the founding of the Roman Republic up through the Roman Empire, Eastern Roman Empire, Byzantines, so on and so forth. Uh, so in that way, we see that, you know, the Byzantines are sitting there in what is modern day Turkey, Greece, Bulgaria, Armenia, holding on to, to parts of the Holy Land as well, slowly whittling away at that. But there is an element of hubris, thinking that they're not going to go anywhere because they are the inheritors of Caesar, of the line of Caesars. And uh, that's Yoda right there. You know, Yoda has been around longer than anybody else and is kind of the granddaddy of them all. And so that's kind of what the Byzantines. And just as Yoda dies, becomes one with the Force, becomes a Force ghost, that's kind of what we see happen with that imperial line when... Um, Zoe Paleologus, the, the daughter of the last, uh, <laughs> kind of the last Byzantine emperor, marries uh, a Russian, and that's where we get the phrase Tsar, the Tsar of Russia. That's a play on the word Caesar. So the Roman Empire living kind of in spiritual successor as Russia, as the Russian Empire. So there's kind of that little interesting, you know, continuation there. So just as the Russians are kind of hanging up in northern Europe, northern Asia, looking down at the rest of us, you could say maybe that's Yoda. I don't know. I, I kind of like a little bit of it. 
And, um, you know, Yoda speaks in kind of a, a broken language and the type of Greek that the Byzantines were speaking was incorporating all sorts of stuff. So maybe Greek purists uh, could say that's broken too. I don't know. I'm not a linguist. But uh, it's a comparison that nevertheless excites me. While we're on Yoda, I'm not going to hop over to somebody else on the uh, council. I mean, not, not an obvious council member, but somebody who's still on the Jedi Council. And that's Yaddle. Yaddle, you know, she's the female Yoda. So I wanted to find someone who was similar to Yoda, but not quite as powerful, not quite as renowned. And so for me, I'd have to go with the Asin, pardon me if that's incorrect, A-S-E-N, the Asin dynasty of the Second Bulgarian Empire. Now, it's true, the Second Bulgarian Empire of the Middle Ages was a breakaway state from the Byzantines. So I'm not trying to say that Yaddle and Yoda broke away but maybe they did maybe we find out in this high republic literature that the two of them kind of broke the jedi rules and got a little got a little funky you know for all we know and that by the time we see them in the prequels they've split up the bulgarians have left the byzantine and maybe there was a pregnancy involved and that's the child who we see in the mandalorian <gasps> it could all be coming together but yes yaddle is the bulgarians very similar faith you know we're talking about eastern orthodox now naturally there's some language differences there but we don't really see yaddle talk fully so you know maybe she does talk different than yoda uh for for all that we could know while we're hanging out kind of in this eastern part uh, of europe you know i'm gonna hop over to the caucasus where we have the kingdom of armenia that's ruled by the arsacid dynasty now, the Kingdom of Armenia is a very fascinating one, okay, because they were around for an incredibly long time. We're talking about, you know, 300, 400 BCE, going up to roughly that same time equivalent, kissing up to, you know, 700 CE, before eventually being split in half, in which you have Persian Armenian, Byzantine Armenia, and some version of Armenian rulers reporting to higher powers moving up and down Europe for a long time. Pardon me, not Europe. I meant to say the Near East. Uh, so I had to think of myself, so who's somebody who's got that degree of antiquity? You know, this is probably the kingdom that is the most pulling, stretching it in terms of belonging on this list because they're not quite a middle, you know, middle age kingdom. It's definitely early dark ages, late antiquity kingdom. So I had to think, well, who's got that kind of prehistoric vibe to it prehistory dinosaurs right so coleman trevor that's the guy who looks like a dinosaur he's got a dinosaur head who uh shows up and attack the clones and tries to you know take on count dooku by himself before getting shot down by by Django fett so there we go coleman trevor is the kingdom of armenia ruled by the arsacid dynasty i'll try to get some dynasty names in there where i can i mean in the case of of yoda for instance the byzantines even though we see kind of a linear line there's different dynastic changes in there so just consider it the line of caesar ending in paleologus uh, as previously mentioned going off of Col colman trebor so in star wars as i've talked about multiple times on this show he takes the council seat of Yeriel Poof. And the reason for that, as Sabologist mentioned when we had the episode about the Jedi about a month ago, is because when they were filming Attack of the Clones, they realized that Yeriel Poof with that long skinny neck and that white head looks too much 
like one of the cloners from Camino, so they had to make a new one. Uh, but Yariel Poof, fan favorite, fan favorite of the show, big favorite of guests we've had on there. You know, might as well have a little Jesus candle with Yariel Poof hanging out on my desk here. Uh, he is going, now we're hopping, we're leaving the Caucasus, going to the opposite side of Europe, and we're going to give him the petty kingdom of Wales. Uh, sort of the kind of the last considered ruler there, kind of a singular rule there, is Rodri the Great. Welsh history is very fascinating and, and goofy in its own way because you don't have kind of the classic line of Welsh kings in the way that we see Irish kings or Scottish kings or British kings when you're looking at the British Isles. Nevertheless, Wales is distinct enough to have its own culture, its own language, and to be considered one of the kingdoms in the United Kingdom. The uh, heir to the throne of England has historically been the Prince of Wales, so it's just kind of been a title out there. So I feel like since the Prince of Wales title has been hanging out there and you know, there's a long, continuous lines of King of Parents holding that title. We can follow the legacy of Yariel Poof's seat on the Jedi Council. So it goes from him to Coleman Trevor, we just mentioned, to hopping over to being replaced by Kit Fisto. Now, Kit Fisto, the ever-buff, ever-so-handsome, but keeping it underneath those bulky Jedi robes, what do we know about him? Well... He is a master of swimming and breathing underwater and being a cool water guy. What's a city that's slowly falling underwater and always kind of has been? We're talking Venice. Kit Fisto is a doge of Venice. Yes, we're now kind of breaking away from the mold. We're moving away from a traditional monarch, moving away from a traditional royal family sense to go to what's effectively a royal mayor. And that's a selected position by the ruling families of Venice. Uh, I'm specifically comparing him to Orso Apato. That kind of is the gentleman considered the initial Doge of Venice. And the Venetian Empire is, is very powerful with its tentacles kind of going all around the Mediterranean. It's not really much of a land grab, but more of a trading empire. And I feel, well, tentacles, Kit Fisto has tentacly hair. So it seems to work perfectly there. And as I said from the get-go, it's all about water. Yes, Water, water, water. The Mediterranean. Now, what other little Mediterranean Jedi kingdoms do we think is hanging out there? Yes, I started kind of going with, you know, geographic. Let's keep it in one place. But we're, we're hopping around a little bit. This is when I'd like to move over to Qui-Gon Jinn. Now, Qui-Gon Jinn was originally a difficult one for me to find a comparison to because he had repeatedly said no to a seat on the council. He was kind of an outsider, and he was not necessarily a drifter, I would say, but he couldn't really, you know, stay in one place, stay within the doctrine of the Jedi Order. He had to be kind of breaking rules a little bit. And so that's why I kind of just loop them all together and just say he is the Norman Crusaders. So this is the Nordic heritage, kind of the proto-Vikings, who came on down, or I should say post-Vikings, not proto-Vikings, settled in Normandy up in northern France and had their little familial tentacles. I know I'm saying tentacles again, and I've already gone with Kit Fisto, but basically 
you know, you have Norman kings up and down the Mediterranean in various ways. You have some in France, you have some in Spain, very famously in Sicily. And what I'm focusing on here is looking at the Normans who uh, led on the Crusades to reclaim the Holy Land of Jerusalem. So think of like Bohemian I. And, uh, you know, Qui-Gon, you could sort of call him a zealot of the force if you if you really think about it. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of political charge behind the Crusades, especially in this day and age, unfortunately, and I'm not trying to draw these modern comparisons. We're just kind of hanging out in this fun backspace. Uh, but I feel like, you know, Qui-Gon is the crusader of the Jedi in his own way. And it's also pretty funny because Liam Neeson, who plays Qui-Gon, is in the movie uh, Kingdom of Heaven, where he plays the Baron of Ebelin, who, spoiler alert, is a crusader. So the man's played a, a literal crusader and played a Jedi. So I think the two and two go up perfectly together. It's funny. I actually wasn't reminded of that fact until uh, until just then. But... So the Normans go over, they take the Holy Land, and they find something. They find what they perceive is hope for Western Christendom, what's declared the Latin East. And what is that hope that's found in the desert? Well, that there is the Anakin Skywalker, a.k.a. the Kingdom of Jerusalem. We're talking Baldwin I, Baldwin II. Very high expectations for Anakin, that unfortunately failed to get met. The kingdom of Jerusalem doesn't last all that long before eventually getting sacked, and it's not quite the holy place that we thought. You know, that there's actually a lot of dirty history surrounding that, dirty exchange of money. You look at the, the holy orders and how, you know, while they may or may not be starting with good intentions, I'll, I'll leave that for you to discuss, you see what ends up happening with kind of the corruption of the Knights Templar or the Knights Hospitaller, the Knights of St. John, so on and so forth, about how you have these self-proclaimed penniless monks, penniless mics, racking up tons of riches, all at the expense of both the, the well-being of the lesser folk, the common folk, the serfs in Western Europe, and raiding the established livelihood of the... Uh, people living in the Holy Land. So I'm not just talking about, you know, Armenian Christians or Greek Orthodox Christians, but of course I'm talking about the Muslims who live there. I talked about the Jewish communities that live there. And so that really, you know, the kingdom of Jerusalem taps into its own dark side and doesn't fill the light side potential that was there. And so that there is Anakin Skywalker. And of course the whole desert comparison, I mean, you could also kind of stretch and say the Jesus comparison uh, sort of works there, too. And if this is the whole idea of crusading Jedi Knights being the name of the episode and the theme, it, you know, we should have who is perceived to be the, the Holy One himself. Now, what about his master, his I loved you like a brother, Obi-Wan Kenobi? So just as I have Yoda kind of being a force in European politics, outliving his initial legacy as the Byzantine Empire. I wanted to find that for Obi-Wan. And so I decided to go a little further back. Once again, you know, the timeline of this stuff is not necessarily meant to be all these Jedi and all these kingdom are existing in tandem with one another. Is, is the Carolingians. We're talking about the House of Charlemagne. 
And, and why do I say that? Why is that Obi-Wan? Why is Francia? Why is the land that becomes France, the land that becomes the Holy Roman Empire eventually? Why is that Obi-Wan Kenobi? Because Obi-Wan leaves an outstanding legacy on the Jedi well after his death. And there is a little bit of split in faction. You know, when Charlemagne dies, the Merovingians and whatnot, his family splits up, you know, his three or four sons get the various kingdoms and things look dark, but under the guidance of trying to live up to the expectations of their father. And then if you go down multiple royal families later, their great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather, ancestors, so on and so forth. That is the target. That is the ideal. Just as Obi-Wan is the ideal for Luke, just as Obi-Wan is even the ideal for someone like Ezra, who doesn't meet the guy until he's, you know, relatively ancient. But just knowing about his existence, knowing about the legacy he leaves on, also... It's a very spiritual, very, uh, you know, Christian-oriented kingdom. I mean, most of, most of these players are. Uh, nevertheless, I just feel like there's an added layer of that, you know, because it's us, right? The Holy Roman Emperor, and Ewan McGregor, especially in Attack of the Clones, is often referred to as Space Jesus during his Obi-Wan portrayal because they, they look alike. So I think that kind of works out as well. The next couple I have here are going to be, you know, more jumping around. I, I'm going to kind of break this sort of narrative thing and just go down my list. So, uh, so Kiati Mundi, who uh, gets a lot of flack on this show, and rightfully so, you know, he has this moment right before he dies on Maigito where, come on, let's go, let's storm him, and really thinking he's got it. And he tur turns around and just gets completely mowed down by his, his trooper boys. His Order 66 death is, is something else. And so I thought, who's a kingdom like that? And I'd have to just go the British kings of Northumbria and kind of all of their pseudo-successor states or neighboring states. It's, you pick whichever one suits your fancy, at which point you have the Saxons. Okay, we did it. Kind of. You have the, you know, Vikings. Oh, we did it. Kind of. You know, one after the other until Shazam, who's this? Here comes the Normans and just mows it all down. We're establishing our own kingdom here. 1066, William the Conqueror. Kiati Mundi gets what he so rightfully deserves. While we're sticking on the council, I want to hop over to Plo Koon. Now, Plo Koon, you know, so he's a Keldor, and this has been explored more in Legends uh, slash the old EU more than canon, but basically the Keldor are in touch with a different type of the Force. They have their own mystics and spirituals who kind of have a difficult relationship with the Jedi. So I thought it'd be good to pick some pagan kingdom that was hanging out in the early Middle Ages during the time of Charlemagne, for instance, during the Dark Ages, even before you get to the Middle Ages, if we want to stick to that antiquated classical approach to it. So I thought Plo Koon, he is the Turov dynasty, Turov dynasty, that uh, ruled Kiev in, in modern-day Ukraine and elsewhere. The great... Uh, it's not quite an empire because the kind of the feudalism structure wasn't quite there. But I thought that's kind of Plo Koon. That's kind of that Keldor. Also, his associated with the wolf pack. There's the great wolves of northern Europe, of northeastern Europe. Long since extinct or at least reduced in population and physical size. But we can assume that there is, you know, Plo Koon and all of his glorious eastern European nightwear with a bunch of wolves running behind him. I think that's, that's super cool if you ask me.
Then we have uh, Mace Windu. Mace Windu is a hard one because he touched upon a lot of the similarities that we were seeing with Yoda in the sense that you're talking about hubris being your downfall. You're talking about being blind to what's happening. And more so than Yoda, you really see Mace kind of being full of himself, thinking he's very correct, thinking he's very right. So I toyed a lot with different suggestions as to what are we exactly thinking is the best kingdom here for him. And I I narrowed it down to two before ultimately deciding for him it has to be the the papal states and that <laughs> that's a real stretch because the papal states end up outlasting everybody longer than uh, you know anticipated and continue in spiritual form with the Vatican but when you really see how much their size reduced I mean yes this is kind of like Coleman Trevor just like he dipped more into you know, antiquity, the papal state's power continues into the Renaissance, into the Baroque period, so on and so forth. Uh, but nonetheless, the size and grip that they once had on the power of Italy, like getting your arms cut off by Anakin Skywalker, nonetheless, which I guess you can tie the whole kingdom of Jerusalem back into it because Jerusalem was a big financial drain on the Catholic Church in the long run of it. So that whole crusading business. So maybe there we go. Cost them an arm and an arm. <laughs> instead of an arm and a leg i don't know uh the master and apprentice relationship though i think deserves some further inspection and i want to pull out two jedi also talked about on this show frequently in the past and that's quinlan voss and then his student ayla or padawan i should say ayla sakura so i thought both of them they're kind of unique in their way they're sort of hanging out on their own what better than to kind of look at these tiny little kingdoms up and down Ireland prior to the English invasions that we see that plague thereafter a unified England rolls up. So I say Quinlan Voss is the kingdom of Ulster. That's kind of the, the largest of the northern Irish kingdoms. Uh, very well established, lasting all the way until the 12th century when uh, I think it was either Henry I or Henry II of England uh, invaded. And so for Ayla Sakira, I said she's the kingdom of Midde, M-I-D-E. It's the word middle, very similar to it, because uh, that's kind of Middle Ireland. It's newer than the kingdom of Ulster, but also fell apart at the same time. So I thought, okay, that's kind of a whole master-apprentice type thing we're working on there. Then we have Shakti. Shakti, uh, once going back to Italy, we're looking at the Lombards, the Lombardian dynasty that saw themselves as kings of Italy. And the reason I pick that is the Lombards and kind of the royal families that descended from them kept popping up. You keep thinking, okay, this is the end of them. No? Okay, this is going to be the end of them. Not yet? Maybe this one? All right, no, not that one either. Until finally they're gone. And that's Shakti. I mean, there are many, many YouTube videos showing Shakti dying at least eight different times. Maybe six or seven. I don't know. I mean, when you start counting like the Lego Clone Wars type stuff or the Lego video games. Uh, nonetheless, though, even in deleted scenes, I think she dies two or three different ways in Revenge of the Sith. Now, there is a canon death to her. Um, which is Anakin chopping her in half, or at least sticking, who, sticking her through the stomach, and Yoda confirms this in the Clone Wars by seeing it as a vision. But I kind of think that little pop-up is uh, 
similar in that regard. And finally, I saved this last Jedi not because I'm particularly drawn to her, but because of her legacy, and that is Depa Balapa, the Jedi Master to Caleb Dune, a.k.a. Kanan Jarrus, a great Jedi in her own right, but someone who started something and got my favorite Jedi headed in the right direction that made him so in touch with the Force. And I know this is breaking out of prequels period by the time we talk about Kanan, but if you look at his master, so I had to think, what is a great European kingdom, a great European empire, or dynasty, or legacy, and what did it descend from? And so, of course, I think you could look at the kings of England, the kings of Great Britain, and they all come from the Angevin dynasty. That's A-N-G-E-V-I-N. Kind of the pre-proto-plantagenet dynasty. The Angevins, it means coming from Anjou, uh, because the counts or dukes of Anjou, I forget the title, are where we get that Plantagenet line that came in. And so even though the Angevin name lasted, even as kings of England for only three or four of them, it, it spawned off the grand Plantagenet dynasties, and then later Lancaster and York coming back together in Tudor, and then Stuart, so on and so forth. The rest is history. The queen is up there. Long live Canaan Jarrus, Deba Balapa, and your legacy that you're looking at right now with Queen Elizabeth II. Anyhow, that's the uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 Jedi, and who I see them as their medieval counterparts. I hope that this has been interesting for you, and by no means consider it a in-depth history lesson. I was just going off my own memory, just in my notebook I had, the names written down to the kingdoms, so my dates are probably off a little bit, pronunciations, even a few names. So I really encourage you, if you are interested in the period, there's tons of books that, to read about it. Visit Wikipedia. If you're looking for a good book specifically about the Crusades that's kind of like a coffee table book but really in-depth, I would suggest looking up Warriors of the Lord by Walsh and Erdman's. It's maybe 10 or 15 years old, but the subject material hasn't really changed. And once again, I encourage you to please check out Crusader Kings 3, a truly fantastic game that started me on all this quest. And if you play it and are into it, let me know. Reach out to my Twitter at COBubble and we can get a multiplayer game going, maybe with a few other friends of the show to hop on and collectively marry off our children and conquer Europe together one step at a time. Per usual, I will catch you all around the corner.